0: This is Ska, original and indigenous. The music of
1: guitar, saxophone, trumpet, bass, and drums. One step beyond! What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we choose one year at random and select one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year to discuss. But not this time of year. We are entering the most wonderful time of the year. The the days where uh, it's regularly over 90 degrees, hitting 100-degree days very often. Humidity off the charts. Uh, also, Freak Storms. Gotta love a Freak Storm. We're in Skogist, which is... I realized, when, whenever we came up with the idea of doing like the little series idea, like our summer series that we just did, it dawned on us, we're like, oh, we've been doing these before. Yeah. <laughs> our little theme series, we just didn't realize... We weren't calling it a series, I guess. We were just being like, it's that time of year where we talk about Halloween records, you know? So, uh, yeah, Scoggest, a a series that we started, I feel like it's, we came up with the word Scoggest after it was too late to devote a whole month to it, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really properly do it until the second year of the podcast. Yeah, we did a
1: couple weeks. I think that's like the year we like really went for it. That's the year where we did the Goldfinger record with Zia Hilti. We did the ska brackets with Brandy Posey. And then like we were like, well, we got Andy Verdecchio, Five Iron Frenzy, to talk about Bad Religion. Not a ska record, but we were like, still counts. He's in a ska band. He makes our guest complete. And then last, the last time we did it, I think we were like, oh, we forgot to do the whole month. We just did like one record and we called yeah. it our guest. <laughs> so this time we've actually planned and remembered in advance to do something. And we are returning to Skagest. So the way we're going to break it down this year, is was we're going to do one week devoted to two tone, another week devoted to third wave and another that devoted to what I've seen lovingly referred to as new tone or essentially like any ska that occurred post third wave. That is not a like, like a legacy act. You know, I'm not going to pick like the
0: 2020 Aquabats record to talk about, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not counting uh, a late what has like real big fish put out records recently.
1: I'm sure they have
0: (laughs) or like a big D in the kids table record. We're definitely not doing like that last boss tones
1: record. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Uh, We said it on the Patreon, but uh, we'll say it here. Uh, Apparently our comments on (laughs) the uh, third wave ska bracketology that we did like two years ago. Uh, the Boston Commons didn't age well. So, I haven't yeah. gone back to listen to them. Um, well, because we were probably
0: like, oh, yeah, they're, like, politically conscious and, like, you know. This is before Georgie Where'd You Go? And yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's everyone other than Dicky. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, as far as we know, the rest of them are fine. They, I mean, they broke up the band. They, yeah, they broke the band up. Like, that's a, that's a big move. Like, I feel like there's enough of them that you could have been like, we fired Dickie. Yeah. <laughs> but... Before we get into that, if you head over to our Patreon for one dollar, you get access to all of our weekly bonus audio. Last week we cover, we did a bracketology on the year 1980 and albums released that year. Uh, it kind of ties to today's episode, which is a 1980 record, but that's the connection. It's a 1980 record. Weren't enough uh, two-tone bands for us to <laughs> do an entire entire bracket again. So you'd be like, all right, so which beat album? against the other beat album do you like better like that's how it would have wound up <laughs> and you also get access to the moon pies for misfits video series you get access to our discord where you could join conversation with fellow listeners and past guests of the show if you ever wanted to interact with good friend Corey and dave brown that's where you want to join oklahoma lefty one band five songs fame uh, I also recently just guest appeared on one band, five songs with Dave Brown. Uh, we talked about the band teenage fan club and one of my all time favorite bands. So we, I had a really good time talking with Dave about that. He doesn't go as deep as T- with teenage fan club as I did. And so I guess it, he has a very unique, his, his frame of reference is like when they were blowing up with bandwagon esque and appearing on MTV and stuff like that. And it kind of ends with that too. So like, it's a little bit of just like diving in on
0: what the rest of their discography kind of looks like from there. And I'm surprised at how common that is for people that are familiar with Teenage Fan Club. Yeah. A lot of people really don't go past bandwagonesque at all. And then like a lot more like people probably don't go past the what Grand songs from songs from Northern Britain. Like kind of like the most furthest the majority of people go. Yeah. Seems like there's a really big drop off after that.
1: Yeah. But yeah, all the Patreon stuff, patreon.com slash punklotto $10. You get to choose what album we're going to talk about on the show. Oh, also for the $1 tier, you get to vote in things like some of the polls we've thrown up. Uh, the poll will be closed by the time this episode goes up. But we threw up a poll for which third wave sky album we're going to talk about next week on the show. There's a front runner right now. But that poll will be closed by the time we uh, record or by the time this episode goes up, because we need to like know what album we're going to be talking about in advance <laughs> so we can listen to it and record an episode. But yeah, fun stuff like that. And yeah, let's get into it. So Skagest, we uh, we fully understand that there are four waves of Ska, but we decided to only really do three of them for the show. And I, and I think it boils down ultimately to like traditional, original, like first wave Ska predates punk music and in all reality like is not really informed by even a lot of the stuff that would inform punk music in the 70s like the closest you get is like soul and r&b stuff and yeah as much as like the the like 70s punk musicians and like going forward in the 90s and beyond like and appreciate and have like revered and brought up like these like legendary like scops Musicians like you'd have to say that like Desmond Dekker is probably like the patron saint of like punks who liked ska music and reggae. toots and the Maytals, Jimmy Cliff, like just all these artists that like people
0: loved and adored, and
1: they're not really punk music, but we are fans.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ska is ska is not a punk subgenre, despite what many people think. It is not rock music with horns. Uh, um, yeah. which is what a lot of the third wave bands like were essentially
1: (laughs) there's there's like we'll get into it when we get into the third wave episode i guess but like they pretty much they like to the main factors to make third wave scars like it's punk rock with horns is essentially it and some upstrokes. there's some bands that knew how to do an off (laughs) like a rock steady beat and could do it and some that could not but we'll get to that later so, yeah, the original ska is not a uh, ska, uh, punk subgenre, but what is a subgenre is Two-Tone. And Two-Tone came about in the late 70s, primarily influenced by the heavy, heavy amount of Jamaican and like Caribbean immigrants who came to England in the 70s. What is it called? Like the, the Windrush generation or something along those lines? Just like a lot, a lot of an influx of like those cultures bringing their music to England, and so like lots of ska, and reggae, getting introduced to like second generation kids or white kids just being like, this is pretty cool, you know.
0: Like what this is neat, you know. You know, with it kind of originates. I I don't know the history of. Caribbean immigration to the UK super well, but I know as like I know that there's like a ska and to a to a larger extent reggae were Jamaican cultural exports globally. Reggae, especially being like picked up on by a lot of other countries, just kind of like buying the records and selling them, not not coming from Immigrants going to those countries and being like bringing their culture with them uh, in the way that it did in the UK in particular. But just being like, you know, tons of Americans were listening to reggae. Um, Yeah. Like what Bob Marley had already
1: released tons of records before anything came popped up in the UK like this or and just like because like the closeness to like radio signals like could reach parts of Florida. You know the AM signals, like those those AM radios go far.
0: Yeah, and I mean even in like the '60s, like ska was like mark, you know, was advertised in like Billboard magazines. You know, ska records were sold in the U.S. and it was, you know, it was advertised as like it was definitely along the lines of like an exotic thing of just being like, look at this interesting thing from world you know, music yeah. from Jamaica. Like, so it, it it never it didn't really it it didn't really have like an impact on what anyone was doing in the United States. Well, until until reggae, really.
1: Yeah, I'd say like the the biggest impact like the ska and reggae had on the United States is probably like rap, you know, with like the DJs and stuff like that. Like that's the, the history of rap is very, very closely tied with like toasting and stuff like that and DJing and dance halls. So that's like reggae and ska's like impact on the U.S., Whereas in England, it resulted in this mixture of traditional ska and reggae with punk and new wave, and that's kind of the thing that makes two tone what it is. Like two tone is like a distinctly UK thing. There are like bands who have you know in the US who have since like done two tone like bands and records, but the original two tone wave was a UK thing. It spun out of like the punk explosion there. The term actually comes from 2-Tone two te- records, which is a record label founded in 1979 by Jerry Dammers of The Specials. It has it has like a double meaning as well, like 2-Tone in the it's two types of tone, like the literal sense, um tones of music mixed together, but also like in a race sense. Like a lot of early 2-Tone was interracial bands pretty I'd say it's like a pretty good like split as far as like at least the original wave of like, oh, yeah, like half like black and Jamaican and African descent people and like half like white British people. And they did a pretty good job of like bringing in both sides and making it like definitely more legitimate, I guess, because you always have that risk of being like, is it cultural appropriation for a bunch of white guys to be doing soul ska? And but really most of those bands consisted of just as many If not more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were they were all generally evenly split. And like
1: lyrically, they talked about race racial issues. And because this is the 70s England, you know, and like the economy was terrible there. And so like there was like a little bit of this, like we're all going through a very similar experience right now. So like let's let's find our commonalities and let's just like, you know, mm, let's do it all, you know. And it's represented with the traditional black and white checkered board pattern like that's a representative of two-tone ska and black and white people
0: racial harmony (laughs) oh i saw something recently i want to say it was a tiktok let me see if i can find the information the you know the rude girl drawing like the equivalent of the of the rude boy yeah that design is specifically based on I believe a trans woman. Interesting.
1: I have not heard that before.
0: Yeah, it's Bridget Bond. though so the the English beat logo girl, essentially, the rude girl mm-hmm. is um, is based on a ska singer, cabaret performer. Uh, she was a trans woman.
1: Hmm. I didn't know that. So, yeah, the uh, two tone is where punk and ska mix really for the first time. And of course, the probably the most famous bands would be the specials the beat who do we else do we figure out oh um a little bit later madness would get in there but the madness shift very quickly into like a new wave band like almost immediately uh, the beat managed to actually kind of keep their ska elements all throughout all their records and even the general public albums that they did later dave and roger did there's like still some element of like ska in those two those are probably, like, the three most famous bands in that genre. And one we're talking about today being probably, what, the number four in, like, well-known across the world. And it's kind of funny because it's just one of those genres, too. Like, it doesn't go deep. I guess it wasn't that long of a period. And so, like, there's not a ton of other bands. Like, you get, what, the Body Snatchers. You get Bad
0: Manners. yeah. And then it really becomes a throwback genre of bands just being like, Oh, we want to do that style of ska during the third wave.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There are bands that do. And I, you know, it's funny. I know what you're talking about. Like the bands, like what, uh, what the slackers, is that who you're thinking? Like somebody like that or like, uh,
0: yeah. The doing lights, doing the slower, the more rock steady kind of based stuff. Um,
1: It's funny. I don't really consider that two-tone, though.
0: I just consider that more just
1: like a throwback, like old, you know, pre-two-tone throwback. Yeah. But I know what you mean. That's like the next closest Sonic comparison. I think it's because New Wave was such a big part of two-tone that it's like, well, New Wave was pretty much done by the mid to late 80s, you know? So, like, that's kind of your window. And these bands weren't that long-lived, a lot of them like did off projects later, like what Fun Boy 3, Big Audio Dynamite, you know, like that kind of stuff. And you had other bands who would play like ska rhythms in their music, like The Clash were notable for really using a lot of ska in there. Elvis Costello would use some rhythms like that. It kind of became a little trendy to incorporate a lot of that in your music. XTC has some, you know. But yeah, it really boils down to like four big bands and then like a couple of the others just like they were there too, you know. And then once you get once you've like stepped away from New
0: Wave, then it's then it becomes a different thing. I think a lot. I think stuff like Elvis Costello, Elvis is Elvis Costello is a little closer to like two tone. You could probably say he was more directly inspired by it than some others. But I feel like what he was doing was kind of along the lines of the same way that like. Reggae and ska were influential to a lot of new wave bands. I mean, because like Blondie had reggae influences and Mm -hmm. rocksteady influences. And a a lot of musicians were like kind of dabbling with that all over. But I I feel like two tone is two tone is very specific. It's very time and place to me. Mm -hmm. What it really classifying a genre as two tone is probably one of the narrowest genres Or yeah, it's probably one of the shallower scene based, but but very well defined sonically genres I can think of because it is like four or five bands. It really (laughs) is like a five year window, maybe a 10 year window and any
1: anything else like past that that gets called two tone is usually just like, oh, they were a two tone band in the 70s and 80s and they just put out a new record in 2010. Yeah. You know, like there's multiple like there's R- Rogers beat two beat records and Dave's one beat record. There's lots of specials records throughout the years. Specials, a.k.a. I don't, I don't know what they're actually called anymore. I think that's their official name, but no one calls them that. And like what bad uh, citizen fish, weren't they like a spinoff of Bad Manners, like that kind of thing? Yeah. Like there's like a Desmond Decker record where he he worked with well, there's two. There's like there's one record that he did with the specials in like the yeah. 90s, but there's another record he did in, in like the 80s or even like maybe even still been 70s that he did with two tone musicians, which was kind of cool. I, I listened to that record. It's like Black and Decker or something like that. It's cool because it's like, oh, wow, this is actually like sounds like it. A two tone record with Desmond Decker singing on it, whereas the like the one he did with the specials later was like, oh, this sounds like a specials 90s album with Desmond Decker on it, because I don't know about you. I don't love how Two Tones sounds with like really crisp production, (laughs) like really like slick production.
0: Yeah, it loses. It loses something. It's a scrappy sounding genre. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's actually very, very pivotal to one of the things that I want to say about the album that we're going to talk about. But
1: yeah. So one of the things, too, I guess I was just I was leading up to is like, if we continue this trend of doing like Skagas season every summer, every Skagas, after like three more years, we're going to run out of like, we're going to start repeating bands just because if we do a two tone specific thing. Yeah. And like, okay now we'll do
0: (laughs) the next album. We did the first beat album. So now let's do (laughs) what happened. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately, there's a lot more specials albums to work with, but. Yeah, a lot more not as good specials albums. <laughs> yeah. Oh, whoa. Whoa. So let's get into the actual album.
1: I gave you the I kind of gave you the choice, right? I figured you would appreciate the task of choosing a two tone record more than a new tone record. Yeah, because I don't think you are following that nearly as closely.
0: Yeah, I would have wound up on a cat by record. And I think <laughs> yeah.
1: you did a cat by record. Yeah,
0: we did. Do. On the show <laughs> ones already. <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, I gave you two tone because I was like, this feels like Dylan will be able to pick something. So you selected too much pressure by the selector. Album. The Selector formed in 1979. They are part of the original wave of two-tone bands. They were literally the second one after the specials. We'll get into that later. This is their debut full-length album, and it was released February 15th, 1980 on two-tone records, as well as Chrysalis. The person on this record is Pauline Black on Vocals, Neil Davis on guitar, Arthur Gaps Hendrickson on Vocals, Compton Aminor on guitar. Desmond Brown on the Hammond organ, Charlie Anderson on bass, and Charlie H. Bembridge on drums. Two Charlies. Two Charlies with an EY. Very confusing. There are some additional musicians on this record as well. Joe Reynolds plays saxophone, Dick Cuthel does trumpet, and Rico Rodriguez plays trombone. And the album was produced by Errol Ross and the band. So. I gave you two tone. And I'm like, yeah, he'll probably pick one of the big ones. He'll probably pick, uh, you know, the first specials record or maybe the first beat record. And then you went, or even like one step beyond my madness. And then you sent me the selector. And I was like, Oh, you're going with
0: the other band. <laughs> the correct choice. Some might, <laughs> <know>. um, <laughs> Well, so, uh, yeah, I, I kind of asked the qualifying question first of, like, do we want to do we want to keep it to, like, that strict definition of two tone or do you want to do we want to say like a Dan P record count? Yeah, you did suggest that. Yeah, I was like because I was like, there's late there's later stuff that I could do that I think could be interesting to talk about that might be like something that's like not not an obvious choice. But then I was like, if. If we want to keep it time period specific, I'm like, OK, that's let me see. Like, let's what can I talk about that is I kind of wanted to avoid the obvious choice of the, the specials, at least. There's also the point that I guess I can make here is that I think the specials are a really cool band. They're probably my third favorite two-tone band like so madness is just out <laughs> yeah, yeah not a madness record uh yeah I wasn't i probably wasn't going to pick a madness record <laughs> not that madness is bad but it's just the, they're one of the less essential ones and i mean and i was like i guess i could find out what bad manners is about yeah <laughs> but i didn't want to i knew i wasn't going to be able to do very much research for this episode so i was like that's that's a band for a time when I have the time this is let me pick something that I know really well so I was thinking it was like there's the English beat that's pretty easy to do I can definitely do the English beat we've talked about the English beat though on the show probably a lot of times uh so I was just kind of looking at the Write your music charts which is which is not it's like two pages there's very very little to choose from and this is like a first page result or whatever so like it you know as soon as I saw it I was like oh that's the one that's that's the one without hesitation, honestly, as soon as I saw it, because I was like, the only other things that are going to be above it are the beat and the specials. Mm-hmm. So feels like a more obvious choice to me than than maybe it was to you. But I don't know, I guess maybe I didn't
1: think that we had done the beat that much on the show. I don't know if we have.
0: I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we've done a whole episode on a beat record, but I yeah. I I guess I was just thinking, like, we've definitely talked about the beat a bunch of times. And on this Selector record, I have probably talked about it on a Patreon. So,
1: yeah. 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 There's a good chance
0: we've talked about this record just in something like that. And I'm listening or a chart dive. Yeah, it might. It might have even been like a starting five or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you
1: remember your first like introduction to this band at all?
0: Not really. I I think I just kind of like became aware of them through becoming aware of what Two Tone was, like it would have just been in relation to the specials, the beat madness, like, and and being introduced to Two Tone, it was kind of it's it's not a deep bench, so it was really just like you and I, I think both really lack were just kind of latched onto the beat, and it was like, yeah, let's run with this one, and so I like I went through their discography. Pretty quickly and then really didn't explore any of the other two tone bands discographies that much. So I definitely and like the specials being the big one, like I definitely did their first two albums, probably pretty close to each other. But the selector, I I don't know. I don't know what my first experience listening to them was. It was probably just hearing a song. So I
1: I know my first experience. I was record shopping in Winston. Salem we were at Earshot Records and for some reason that store would get a lot of like Ska stuff in and I remember flipping through and they had that dance craze soundtrack for that documentary which is about the two tone thing which we wanted to do but Dylan wasn't gonna have time between like moving so maybe this month we might get to it but we'll see because I think that's probably like the premiere Ska thing video film. Uh, They had that there and I probably saw the name The Selector on there. I feel like I knew the name The Selector, but I didn't like know any of their music at all. And I was like going through the records and I came across this album and I was like, well, that's a ska record cuz like it's the most scar looking album cover ever like even more so than the specials album cover it's like it's a checkerboard pattern like all the way around all four corners all four sides of the the record sleeve there's the there's a there's a rude boy suit draw uh, right is it or is that pauline i don't actually the
0: it's a picture of yeah a rude boy leaning against a wall with his hat on the ground
1: yeah yeah so had on the ground, too much pressure, the checkerboard font, the, I knew the name of the selector but I had not know any of their music and I was like well that's a ska record, I'm buying this Like I hadn't even heard a song I was like, I never run across anything like this usually in the wild and I was like, well, I'm gonna like this like I just knew from the album cover alone, I was like, I'm gonna like this record didn't even, I don't know if that story even had like the turntables you could listen to, I don't think they did Earshot? If yeah, they did no. Well, I, I guess I don't think I even bothered and then I don't think I even did the thing where I pull them up on like Spotify or YouTube just to hear it. Like I literally was like, sight unseen, just, all right, I'm buying this, just because I knew right away. And I took it home, and I was immediately like, well, why isn't this record talked about nearly as much as the specials and the beat? And so it kind of came from, went from there. I just started listening to other stuff they had. They have another record. I've listened to that the follow-up. They do the thing where they break up and reunite in the 90s. There's a shitload of 90s albums, like tons of them a lot of compilations, a lot of like covers albums. And then they did a reunion record a couple years ago that I really enjoyed. And then they did another one this year called human algebra that I also really enjoyed. So like, I've been following the selector, you know, ever since I learned who they were, that I started then like learning more about them and just listening to anything new they put out With all, out of all the like reunion bands, like reunion records, like we're not going to get any more Roger records. Unfortunately, Rogers version of the beat. But like between those two and Dave's beat record and like the later specials records, the selector aged the best, whereas their new records still feel like those two tone records. Like they translated the best to modern era, whereas the others didn't translate as well. So, yeah, that's my like selector history. I mentioned it earlier, but they're they're one of the first two tone bands ever. So, Noel, Neil, Neil, I hate how he spells his name. N E O L. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Neil. Neil and John Bradbury of the Specials recorded a song together called The Kingston Affair. <music> they shopped it around, they couldn't find a home for it. And so eventually when the specials, which John Bradbury was a member of, you know, they were ready to put out their first single, uh, Gangsters, and they were like, well, what do we put on the B-side? And he was like, well, me and this other guy wrote this song, and so he gave them the Kingston Affair. They changed the name of it to The Selector, and their name was The Selector, and they put it on, the. it's technically a double A-side, so, like, it's the first real, like, two-tone release is Neil of The Selector and the specials. And so then Neil's like, Well, shit, it started selling really well. He's like, well, I I need a band now. So he like he's decided to form a band. And that's he puts together the whole group. Pauline, I don't think had ever. He just like saw her somewhere and was like, you should try out for my band. Like, I don't know that if he knew if she could sing or anything. I think it was just like, hey, you should be in the band. I I guess that's how it was kind of in the UK scene. It was just kind of like you go to punk shows you should be in my band. And it's like, can you play anything? I just bought me guitar. (laughs) I've just learned the bass. (laughs) So like they just formed this band. And funnily enough, the one thing I thought was very neat about the selector versus like the specials or the beat is the only white person in the band is Neil. The rest are all black. Yeah. It's like a seven piece band. So it's like all black, all black people and Neil, (laughs) which I thought was very funny. I was like, Oh, you guys committed harder than the specials did, <laughs> and so yeah, they the single does really well. The former band they release a handful of singles before this record comes out, and they go in the studio for their first record. Uh, the album was successful. They did they did well pretty much right off the bat, and yeah. So, uh, this record is it's a mixture of covers and original songs. There's a lot of covers on here, and there's a lot of original material on here, and it gives an air of I guess you could give it that like. Oh, it's got the legitimate ties to like old school stuff by having these older songs on here, which I think the specials record also has a bunch of covers too. really the beat. I feel like we're the one who was like rarely put covers on their records, which is funny.
0: And they did stuff like um, Tears of the Clown, like not even (laughs) a ska song.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's
1: funny. So yeah, you you knew the record already pretty well. I knew the record pretty well. It was we talked about it before, definitely on a Patreon before. So yeah, it was definitely one where I was like, easy peasy to listen to this and talk about it. So upon revisiting, how
0: does uh, too much pressure sound now? It's so good. It's yeah. it's such a good record. So one of the things that I I noticed while listening to it today, and I've probably noticed this before, like it starts with three minute hero incredible song, such a great kickoff to a record. And then it kind of goes for several songs that are all great. And I'm thinking while listening, like, huh, these aren't the big songs that you really know from this record. (laughs) And then the B side is too much pressure and murder. And it's like, holy shit. (laughs) So this is an incredible record that spends most of its A side on not the standout like stuff that you usually put on the A side where you're just like, yeah, we got to we got to stack the, the front of it. Keep them listening. It's just it's so confident in the material that they have that they can be like, yeah, let's put these great songs on the on the back half of the record. I guarantee people are going to flip it over. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, this made me now wonder, like, what it I, the U.S. is too dumb, and we always resequence records whenever they come from England. For they always resequence them, and so now I'm kind of curious to see. In many territories, UK standalone single on my, radio, say, oh, on, my say, oh, on my radio was included on the album either as track one side one, with three-minute hero moved to track seven side one. You dipshits. <laughs> and then they make me mad move to track three, side two, or added to the side two as the first track. So it's just like, man, record labels. I get. I guess they're like, well, we want to put on my radio on the record. And I guess it only fits if you put it on the first side. Maybe the backside's too long. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why you couldn't just. Or no, they love to put the single, like the big independent single, as like one of the first things you hear, too whatever it's annoying so you so you ruin the flow of the record is what that sounds like to
0: me <laughs> the yeah the chrysalis yeah um pressing has the the on my radio 3 minute hero um trying to find a US version the first US version i can find it's a chrysalis pressing so it is on my radio uh with 3 minute hero at the end of side a and then but the rest of the sequencing is is more or less the same. So, you know,
1: I'm actually now very curious what my copy has on it. And you know what? I'm going to do this now. I'm going to go look. I'm going to go look at it. So, which, Dylan, you which can vamp.
0: Pressing do you have?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go see which pressing I have, which track listing I have. And uh, I'll come back. Dylan, you can either vamp or stay silent. I'll figure it out when I edit it, I guess. All right. I got my copy here. No sign on the front. paid six dollars for this. That's a steal. I have the US version. I have the on my radio first track with Three Minute Hero bumped to the end of side one. Yeah. And they May me mad to side two. That is maybe why when I listened to this for the first time, I was like, this doesn't sound right. Like I I
0: think I listened to my vinyl copy more than I've listened to it digitally. Yeah. So um on my radio doesn't sound like it's from the same sessions right no no it's not like it's very it's very clearly a different recording quality i'm mm-hmm. I mean, not that it's like you know super slick and like it, it, but it's different it's it doesn't have the edge that the rest of the record has it's a little it's a little weird of a choice in terms of sequencing it's not you know it's not like that into time hard because i feel like any good song going into time hard is is gonna be a good transition yeah but on my radio is a little more chill Mm -hmm. it's it's fairly i mean it's fairly upbeat but it's a little more in your rock steady territory whereas three minute hero is just like i wanna be three minute hero you you're on the verge of running in place on that song like it's (laughs) such a good pumped up like opening song and that into, into time hard is just like whoa like i'm like lawn back in my seat like that's great one two like first track second track sequencing that's that's great three minute three minute hero is such a cool song
1: yeah yeah
0: it really deserves to be the opener
1: yeah that's my thinking too i was like this should stay the opener on my radio is cool it's good it's a great song but it's it's a great song
0: yeah but it's
1: not album opener great song To me, three minute hero should be the way the record starts, because then three minute, like you said, three minute hero into hard time or time hard um, or every day. It's got multiple names. Yeah, that's a cover too that is a cover of the pioneers song and then goes into they make me mad, which I feel like is also like the perfect like third track, the perfect like this is our cool down third track. And it's not really like a cool down song, but it's like a it's a slower song. It's a little darker sounding. Uh, Pauline actually has writing credit on that one. Pauline Black and Lawton Brown. She only has two two tracks where she is credited as songwriter. Uh, Neil wrote everything that wasn't a cover, except for those two. So Neil Neil is like he's essentially like the main songwriter of the band. Yeah, and moving they make me mad to this B side. No way. What are you doing? I know it's probably a time issue more than anything, but no, you don't move that song. <laughs> yeah, the singles for this record were Three Minute Hero and Missing Words. And Missing Words is another really fun song. Like, I definitely get why they chose that one to be a single. Three Minute Hero was, let's see, reached number 16 on the UK charts and stayed there for six weeks. And Missing Words reached number 23 on the UK charts and stayed there for eight weeks. And then On My Radio, I think, was a bigger hit single. But yeah, this yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't mess with this with the sequencing on this album because i think they did an excellent job of choosing what to put where uh i guess we could do like the covers let's do the covers so yeah time hard as the pioneers song my collie not a dog is weird so it's a cover of millie small's my boy lollipop except it's rewritten to be about cannabis (laughs) <laughs> like it's
0: just got new lyrics but it's the same melody my boy lollipop is actually is one of those songs that i was thinking of as being an early 60s uh of an early 60s ska export kind of a novelty song because it's, yeah, it's my boy lollipop you know it's just really <laughs> it's really like kitty pop like doo kind of thing this is like i want to say that probably was out concurrent with that song. That song would have come out. Oh, weirdly, weirdly, it was written in the 50s by someone from the Cadillacs. Uh, so then the Millie Small is even that is a cover. Uh, but hers is the, the most famous version, I think. At least in 1964. So her version was released in like February 64. So that's like beginning of British Invasion. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, like mid british invasion, so I guess that really starts in late sixty three but probably be- probably before the Beatles came to America, if I know that timeline correctly, yeah, that's a that's a funny that's a funny interpretation
1: of that song. <laughs> uh, we also have murder by Leon and Owen, Carrie Go Bring Home by Justin Hines, and we have the James Bond theme originally by monty norman but first done in sky style by roland alfonso and they're definitely doing the roland alfonso version and so yeah those are like the big covers i think the originals are better than most of the covers i do think time hard rules time hard's great
0: probably the best cover their version of time hard is is really good and it's a pretty unique version of it because the original starts with like the synthesizer yeah yeah that that pioneers version and the pioneers were much more like they had almost like a smooth soul kind of like harmony thing going Mm -hmm. and the selector version is is a little raw and a little more i think I, i think i like their version more than the pioneers version but yeah
1: The carry go bring home covers pretty good. I do like the original of that one probably more the Justin Hines version because I did. I went and listened to all the original versions or at least the version. Like I didn't go listen to the James Bond theme song. I just listened to the (laughs) Roland Afonso version. And really, to me, that their James Bond might be like the most out of place song on here because it's like one is the James Bond theme song, which is silly. It's like the jam doing the Batman theme song on their record like, why are y'all doing this? <laughs> but it it's also like it has like toasting on it, which like they don't really have on any of the other songs. Like it's the most like tick, 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 like <laughs> old school, yeah. traditional ska, hip, hip, you know, like that kind of stuff going on, like weird because they don't do that on really most of the rest of the record. There might be a moment where they do it, but not not really. It never stood out to me, but To me, like, the stars of the record are the originals. Three Minute Hero, Missing Words, Too Much Pressure. Too Much Pressure being the B-side starting track. Like, one, I guess you want it to start the record. You want it to start a side, so I understand that. And I guess Three Minute Hero is a better A-side track one. It's tough, it's tough. Now you would put that, like, in, like, track two, track three, track four. You know, maybe, I don't think you would, I don't know. It's tough where you'd put that now,
0: on like the digital era. I think three minute hero is a more like focused pop song and too much pressure because it starts with that dot dot dot. It, it's, it's a little more aggressive and a little more technical because it's got that little lead riff part. Like it's a more it's it's instrumentally driven in a way that three minute hero is isn't three minute hero is definitely like a vocal led song.
1: Three Minute Hero like feels like it's it's a song that's like building momentum, even though like I don't think they changed the tempo really. I think it stays basically the same speed the whole song, but it I guess it gets you amped up more, so you're like you're 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 moving along with it more. Which is important because ska, ska and two tone were it's dance music. Like it's yeah. specifically dance music. And so like, yeah, I could see it, that's a good that's a good one to get you to start dancing, is like this
0: fast song. Too much pressure. You got to time the breaks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Though the guitar part on too much pressure, like that lead intro like that. Ah, oh, it's so good. That's where you also hear some like the punky stuff. Yeah. On the album. When I was listening to it, I was like, every single song on here is a four star or higher song for me. My okay, take it back. My lowest rated song is the My Collie, not a dog. Just because it just it feels
0: novelty. My Collie. Uh, I would say James Bond's my my weakest song on here. Yeah. My Collie is just kind of fun and weird. The dogs barking in it also. It's (laughs) like, oh, that's where the the uh, who did dogs barking in a song? What song am I thinking of? Jane's Addiction. Yeah, it is. Jane's Addiction. (laughs) I was like, is it a sublime
1: song? Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, man. You know what song that I really loved on here? Out on the streets. That was another one where I was like, this got a little bit of a jam vibe going on here. Like, that one was really fun and upbeat. Like, that was another song where I was just
0: like, man, this song's so good. Yeah, that's that's a really good song. Bruce has a song called Out in the Streets. Oh yeah. That I that I'm like. He was probably listening to the selector record.
1: <laughs> you think so? Is the selector on Bruce's radar in 1980?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, huh. I I would think so. He he was buying he was buying all kinds of shit. Like he did like he would sometimes do like sound check with like Jimmy Cliff stuff sometimes. And he 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 has some like real buried demo stuff that was like him trying to do reggae songs. <laughs> um. Well, okay. Now Out in the Streets came out on the river uh which I think is actually the same year. So maybe not. It, it couldn't have been. Maybe it's just a an accident. Just uh lateral thinking, but it it does feel like it does feel like the kind of thing though that like Elvis Costello was doing and it's in it's in a similar lane of things that Elvis Costello was doing that Bruce was kind of doing at the same time. But yeah, I thought of the jam too, for sure. Mhm. Which, to me, that actually makes sense, because the jam would have already had, like, three albums
1: by this point. What year is the special first record? The Special's first record? Yeah. 79. Okay, so that came yeah. out, what month? October 79. This record comes out, what did I say, February? Yeah. So, like, in a six-month span, trying to capitalize. Now I'm kind of curious, when did the Beats' first record come out? I Just Can't Stop It came out in 1980 as well. It was released in May, so they were the third the third band. That actually kind of makes sense in the timeline. Between the three first records,
0: who do you think is stronger? You know, Mike, going back to my point, Bruce was recording The River in April 79 to May of 80. Oh, so he could have heard that one. That's a record. He that he, like. That's a record that he famously <laughs> pulled back from uh, and added more songs to. So <laughs> that song could be a late. One, I don't know. I'd have to look at when the songs were written and recorded originally. But of the of the first three major two tone LPs.
1: Yeah. Is that
0: well, your let's question.
1: Let's see where okay. Let and let's just make it the 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 quadrology. Let's see when One Step Beyond came out too, because those are the four really. One Step Beyond was at least October 1979. The same month as the Specials. That is wild. The Madness are technically numbered. Well, yeah technically the number two because the selector that's on the B side is not the actual full selector. That's funny. Madness is number two. Huh. So okay, let's do the four then. We got. It's just called the specials, right? One step beyond. Too much pressure. I just can't stop it. Are we ranking them? Uh. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Rank them.
0: My ranking is would be I just can't stop it. Too much pressure. Specials. One step beyond. You really don't like that specials record. No, I like it, but I don't I, like it as much as Too Much Pressure.
1: So my ranking would be I Just Can't Stop It, The Specials, Too Much Pressure, One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond's fun, um, but really, I just think about that first song. <laughs> the title track. Also, Madness, the whitest of the two-tone bands. <laughs>
0: Aren't they, like, all white? <laughs> no. I think they are. They're all white guys on the yeah. cover. <laughs> yeah, they are.
1: Mm,
0: Funny. They're also, like, you know... The, the one of the ones that goes the furthest away from Scott. Yeah. First, like immediately. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I just like the. There's just something about like some of those really big special songs that maybe like the deep cuts on the selector record are probably better than the deep cuts on the specials record.
0: Yeah. I mean, message to you, Rudy. Huge. Like I feel like that alone. Nightclub, club concrete jungle too much too young. Now, I guess if you really think I like,
1: Pauline is a singer way more than the vocals in the specials. Pauline's like probably the best actual singer out of all of them. Dave's pretty good. Dave Wakeling. But he has a unique like Kermit voice. (laughs) Yeah, Pauline. It's funny, like she had done like some modeling and some acting. And I think it's very funny that she like wound up being like probably one of the best singers. out of That whole wave of people. Because she has this really cool, just really strong voice. I thought that it was interesting. This band is like a seven piece band, but they don't have a horn section. Like all the horns were just session work on the album. What is everybody doing? Everybody's everybody playing guitar. Is that what's happening? Or do we have two singers who don't actually play instruments? Yeah. Gaps. Gaps and Pauline only do vocals. So Neil plays guitar. Compton plays guitar. Charlie on bass and Charlie on drums. And the Desmond on the Hammond. The Hammond on this record
0: sounds so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, and I and there's a I have a very soft spot for Selector also being a non horn scob. And there are horns on this record, but there's mm-hmm. like no like they're not committed musicians, they're only on like a handful of songs like uh Joe Reynolds plays the saxophone on track one, uh Dick Cuthell plays trumpet on eleven, and Rico Rodriguez plays trombone on eleven and twelve. So those are
1: uh It's just three songs on the album that have horns on them.
0: Yeah. Which yeah, that
1: that's true. I do love a ska band without horns.
0: And it's that Hammond organ, which is is one of those overlooked, like really important organs being a really important part of a lot of Rocksteady. And like and how there is a whole like ska is ska as this genre is this is really interesting because of all of the unique techniques to that genre. Like there's you know, there are similarities of like some of the guitar playing in like funk and you know like ska is informed by jazz and and soul like in a lot of the the guitar playing um but it has that like distinctive like ska rhythm of how you play the guitar and where it lands on the beat and like and, and on top of that, like, in addition to that, it has also, you have your, like, your single lead lines that are so, like, the, you know, those triplet lead lines that you do um, that are really unique to ska. Um, there's, like, the drumming. You have the rock steady beat, which is, like, you know, super distinctive. Like, that again, the timing thing. Like, the timing and the rhythm of ska is so important for every instrument and like every instrument is like landing in a different place and the organ there's like a whole ska organ style and it's not even like i feel like people don't even think of the organ as being like a you know ska instrument like when people when people say like what is ska it's like oh it's like it's the music with like it's got like it's like fast reggae with horns and it's like it doesn't it doesn't have to have horns like you can have Uh, yeah you can have
1: ska without horns and without organ like you can just do ska with guitar bass drums
0: yeah yeah because it's it's the rhythm it's what the rhythm is doing that makes the genre Mm -hmm. very often is true of many genres but um but like it's it's very very distinctive and like in ska and doesn't have nearly as much overlap into other genres as like certain techniques might might have might carry over to other things but but yeah, there's that Scott that uh, 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 <laughs> like that, that Jackie Matu organ playing sound. like that's so distinctive to Scott. You don't hear that kind of playing in anything else. And when you do like when you hear it in an Elvis Costello song, you hear it in like a power pop thing. It's like, oh, this is their ska song. Like it automatically makes you think of ska when you hear it. But it's not it's not really identified as being like a banner and it's probably one of the more rare instruments in ska bands like it's the one that gets left out the most but when it's used it sounds great it
1: i think there is a tendency though like i guess if you have that hammond in your ska band then you're probably going to have it on every song for the most part and so i could see why some bands would maybe choose to not have a hammond because then it's like well we're a hammond ska band like that's kind of what you become if you have that we very, gotta
0: drag this Hammond to every show.
1: It's a very dominant sound too. Like it really takes attention in the song. It's like a very, it's like upfront takes a lot of, cause it's like not as. I don't think you can play the Hammond subtly. <laughs> I don't think there's a way for that. To-
0: I mean, horns aren't as aren't super dynamic either. They're generally pretty loud and overpowering instruments. But I think horns can lay out more, and yeah. it's less like. But what am I even doing? Like when you have a guy standing behind an organ and he's just not doing anything, it's like, <laughs> well, that's weird. But yeah. like the guy with the trumpet can like kind of dance on stage <laughs> or maybe switch to like some <laughs> tambourine or something. You know, you can do something else. But yeah, um, or you the Hammond guy
1: feels kind <laughs> of trapped by the by the keyboard and
0: like, oh, I got to <laughs> stay back here. <laughs> that's why, too, like, it's I mean, funny. It, you don't. It doesn't have to strictly be a Hammond organ. You can definitely use combo organs. Like
1: you can yeah, yeah. Well, boxes. most
0: of them are all just doing like key synths with like Hammond yeah. settings on them now. You know. Yeah.
1: It is funny though. Like when Lucero added their piano player to their band, they just became a band with a piano on like every song. Yeah. Like oh, you're a piano rock band now.
0: That's weird. We got it. We got <laughs> it. We need to use it. Because <laughs> he it's, doesn't. He plays on every track now. <laughs> when you get someone who can play that instrument, it. It is like, yeah, you want to get your bang for your buck, but yeah, see, they brought in horns,
1: and then they could like not use the horns too very easily. Yeah. That's funny. I it is funny. Like you got to use the key guy more than or the girl more than you need like the horn people. <laughs> horn people can lay back. Hey, you'll take a break. You don't. You don't play on this song. My favorite thing is. Lucero related but just watching them play and the bass player literally takes his bass off and lays it against his amp and kind of like lights a cigarette even though you're in a place where you're not supposed to be smoking and then he puts it back on to finish the song he is (laughs) so funny to watch I watch Uh, him more than anyone else in Lucero life
0: my back hurts (laughs) I uh I'd like watching their piano player because he's chewing gum the whole time (laughs) and it's like his His beard his weird beard. He's his got split, he's got the split beard,
1: but it's also Amish too. Like it's
0: right. Yeah. yeah. And it just like blows in the uh, the fan. <laughs> he sits there chewing his gum, just like. <laughs> um. So the record does well. Um.
1: They go on a pretty big. Okay. Let's see. I'm trying to find the where my notes are when it comes to like what happens next. So the album hits number five on the UK charts. Pretty good. Very favorable reviews, and I, I'm not going to read any of the reviews, but I did want to, like, run down the, like, ratings. So, four stars on all music, four stars on Colin Larkin, whatever Colin Larkin is. He's, the, oh, Encyclopedia of Popular Music. Martin C. Strong gave it eight out of ten. I don't know who that is. The Great Rock Discography. Robert Criscow gave it an A-minus smash hits gave it a seven out of 10 sounds gave it a five stars out of five and trouser press just said it was favorable i don't think trouser press uses ratings but uh yeah chris chris gals is a minus he said except for songwriter guitarist neil davis these two toners are black reassuring in a moment in a movement that calls up fears of folky patronization lead singer's a woman too a refreshing piece of progress no matter how self-consciously progressive its motives what Kerskow, what what <laughs> what are you saying there? <laughs> it was also probably written in like the sidebar of a paper or something. But yeah, he advised listeners to play loud, which, yeah, you really yeah. listen to it loud. Um, yeah. So to support the album, they were going to go on tour with the Beat and the Body Snatchers. But the Beat dropped out because they were too busy with their own label Go Feet Records. So I guess they were like trying to get that going. Their record was coming out later that year. My guess is they were like trying to make sure it's up and going by the time the record comes out, which I always liked. The beat kind of did their own thing. They're like, we're not we did our own record label and we use pink as our color (laughs) pink and black a lot. (laughs) So Holly and the Italians, who are a U.S. band, replaced the beat, but they were so unpopular with the crowds that they were then replaced by a UK band called The Swinging Cats. (laughs) UK crowds are like, what is this shit? (laughs) I'm sure Holly and the Italians, I think I've seen that name. They're probably like a power pop band from the U.S. or something. Um, Weirdly, racists came out to the shows because they got and they got into fights with other concert goers. And the band was like, I don't know why you're coming to see us. The only white guy here is Neil. (laughs) That was like specifically the band said that, like, why are you coming to our shows? Why do you like our music? Because that was the thing. They liked the music, too. Very weird.
0: Why racist skinheads in the U.K. liked sky they did though like it was weird like because <laughs> yeah. well so what i've learned of uh skinhead cultures through the the uh the movie uh <laughs> <laughs> this is england <laughs> this is england <laughs> uh which i mean i think it's pretty well supported it's like like racist skinhead culture comes from og skinhead culture which it comes from suede had like pretty much jamaican immigrants to the uk right like it's it's the late 60s immigrants to the uk and like work and then like very quickly working class white people like is where the skins come from and that's all they listened to was ska like they listened to ska and rocksteady and reggae and like soul and like and then like yeah maybe some mod stuff but then for some reason they turned into racists
1: <laughs> uh that it, i think that stems from like white replacement
0: theory shit yeah like, oh, they're taking our jobs like it's that kind of bullshit yeah but it was just like it, it you know it was like a whole aesthetic that is like directly taken from the immigrants that they are then scared of <laughs> yeah. it's it's baffling to the point that skinheads are automatically coded as racist.
1: Yeah. it. Yeah. Racist skinheads ruin non-racist skinheads. <laughs> yeah. It's like, a, you guys maybe should just stop being skinheads. Like, I get it. You're like, this was ours
0: first, but you know, you can't take it back. Unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that. Like I'd say fine, take it back. But cause I think, you know, generally non-racist skins are like, I will fuck you up. <laughs> I mean, true. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's like good good for them. Like they will violently defend it and protect it. And I think (laughs) that's good. So uh the label sends
1: them to the US to go on tour because it's Chrysalis. They're like, you gotta tour the US now to make some money. Tour doesn't do well here because they they don't really take off in the US. It feels I think it just it just feels too British to really work here. Uh to UK. Uh so then Charlie and Desmond both left the band after this because they went and started their own band. I forget the name of that one. But uh, then the band released their follow up Celebrate the Bullet in 1981. And oh, yeah, that's this is a cool fact. So the title track Celebrate the Bullet off that record aired on the first day of MTV's broadcast. So it's a first day MTV video. Nice. And then Pauline leaves the band and then they like try and find a new singer because they're dumb, I guess. Uh, <laughs> They couldn't find anybody. It didn't work out. And so they broke up in 1982. So they have a 79 to 82 run. That is it. So brief. So short. Yeah. They're part of the two-tone documentary dance craze. They reformed in 1991 with Neil and Pauline as like the only actual selectors. uh, And the rest of the band was made up of the bad of bad manners. Okay. So then Neil left the band in 1993 and Pauline continued until 2006 so pauline takes a break because i think she wants to do more acting so she like pauses the selector for a minute and then neil restarted the selector as his own band without pauline in 2011 and this turned into a very much a well no i'm i'm the selector he's like well i wrote all the songs and she's like but i'm the star <laughs> which which is more important i guess um it was very much a very similar case to the beat in the english beat like Roger and, and Dave like arguing over, well, you can do it in the UK, but I'll do it in the US. You know, uh, it do, wasn't cool. I do think a lot of that stemmed from simply just from like, well, I don't want to move to the US. Yeah. So Pauline won in court. She won the rights to the selector name. Um, my guess is she won based on the fact that Neil quit in 93 and she kept going to 2006. So, like, that's like 13 yeah. years of her band. So, that's probably how she won that in court like it, it became hers um and she has uh since bringing back the selector she brought back uh the other singer which we've barely talked about him <laughs> yeah gaps arthur hendrickson he's he's in the band now so right now the lineup i think consists let, let me pull that up too the current lineup i think only has like two or three people from this record still involved yeah, we have. OK, yeah, that's right. We have uh, Pauline Gaps and Charlie Benbridge, the drummer. Weird. So, you know, he he's in the band until they break up in 82 and then he rejoined in 2021. Hmm. So he's not even part of like any of the 90s or 2000s stuff. He joins very recently. But those are the only three original selectors in the band. Though Neil. Yeah, even Neil Davies like selectors was just him. Everyone else was new people. So that's very funny. Uh, did she use anyone else again? No. That's it. Basically, like Compton, Charlie Anderson, and Desmond, they're all done. Desmond and Charlie after 1980, and then Compton after eighty two. So yeah. Charlie Bembrich and Gaps are the really only ones because he's in the ninety one through two thousand and six run of the band, too. Yeah. So he's he's been there the whole time, essentially. And he's like he, we don't talk about him. He's he's good, right? Like, but he doesn't have lead, does he? Does he ever do lead vocals on here? Um, street feeling. He's got a pretty big part. There's a lot of, it, shit ton of gang vocals. Like they they're probably both singing on every single song, but he doesn't. There's no song where it's just gap singing. That's in, that's
0: interesting. Like he's just as he's the. doesn't he do James Bond by himself? Is that his? Yeah. Yeah, he does James Bond by himself. I think that really is the only song he does on his own. Yeah, that's funny. He's on like
1: every single song, but you're just, it's just not really like a standout part. Very funny how that how that happened. But but yeah, they continue to put out new music and it's good. I like Human Algebra is really good. I liked it a lot. I would like to see them live. I guess I should make, an, make a point next time they are remotely close to me to go see them. But yeah, any final words on uh, the selector? Too much pressure?
0: Um, I guess I would say this is I mean, this is generally true of of Sky Records, but especially of this time period, I think this is a really fun record to listen to a different part each time you listen to it. Like just focus on what the guitar is doing on one song and then just focus on what the drums are doing on, you know, like it's really it's really fun to just zero in on each individual component of the band because they're all so strong on their own. So interesting. Um, and then they're all constantly doing something different. And I mean, that's the ska thing of just like where your snare hits on the beat, your hi-hat, your, you have your guitar is str- is strumming while the snare hand is coming up. And you know, like you, everything landing in all of these different little places in the rhythm and how it has that undulating like syncopated feeling. Like it's just really, really fun to focus on the individual parts on their own. Cause you can kind of hear them all very uniquely, but then you can kind of like catch the things where they lock up and then where they're apart from each other. Good deep listening music yeah. for what is ultimately dance music, which you would think would just be like super simple. But uh,
1: is this, we, we mentioned it, is this a thousand and one albums? For you personally, did we talk about that on here or was that only on the Patreon? That was on the Patreon. We mentioned on the Patreon, Dylan and I have Dylan was talking about making a thousand and one personal thousand and one albums to hear. for And it's such a monumental task that you're like, what the I can't do this. But I also have been like toying with the idea of doing it myself, but only doing it in the sense of when I come across one, like, will I add it to the thousand and one list? Um, so does too much pressure make the thousand and one? I think this would. Yeah,
0: I do, too. I uh, when I was listening to it for this episode, I was like, oh, let me pull it up on rate your music. Let me see. What did I rate this? I was like thinking I was like, I need to put this at least at a four and a half. Like I need to if I didn't set it there before, I need to bump it up one because it's so good. And then I was like, oh, and like I saw that I had art like I had put it at four and a half, (laughs) like probably on like the second listen. I was just like. Second time I ever listened to it, I was like, yeah, this is a this is a great record. Could very easily be like an all time ska record, probably in like top 10. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I think that will do it for us. So thank you, everyone. Uh, Next week, we will be talking about a third wave ska record. Poll is up currently as a recording, so we don't know exactly what we're doing. There's a leader. There's actually pretty obvious leader currently um, but uh, we'll wait and see for sure I'll give it a couple more days but uh, thank you so much for listening uh, follow us on all forms of social media Instagram Twitter and Facebook oh oh can't forget X.com and threads um, hit us up with that blue sky invite we'll use it for the pod first and <laughs> yeah all of that at punk pod, punk pod at gmail.com and our voicemail is two zero two six eight eight two six eight eight punk. And, yeah, that will do it. Hopefully you enjoy the rest of Skaggist, and uh, we will talk to you next week.
0: To order Punk, call the number on your screen. Rush delivery is available. Remember, this special offer is not sold in stores.